Hello, you're listening to The Bulletin, the podcast from the St. Andrews Economist. My name is Elliot Vavitsis, and today I'm speaking with Annie Seria about the status of the American labor market. Annie, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? Excellent, excellent. Um, so I saw that everyone's seen in the news that there's a lot of stuff going on in America right now. People just aren't working, and I think you have some more insight in that. Do you want to tell me a bit what's going about what's going on? Yeah, so there's a huge trend now where there's massive strikes across a ton of areas and there's unionizing in a lot of places that previously haven't seen mass efforts of unionizing before. And I think it's interesting that this, coupled with the amount of people who are voluntarily quitting their jobs, is all coming at the same time. So I wanted to kind of examine why this is all happening at the same time and what the implications might be for the American economy overall. Mm-hmm. And... So, I mean, what's what's the why behind this? So, because I think I think you said called it in your article, people are kind of voluntarily quitting, and that's in you know modern economics. That's a that's a that's a new f- phenomenon. We don't really, we shouldn't see that. That shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where do they plan to go, and why why would they do this? Well, I think many people who have been surveyed, I think by Gallup was the one that I cited most in the article, said that they're actively seeking new opportunities. So I think the pandemic highlighted for a lot of people the negatives of their working conditions and kind of the drawbacks that they hadn't noticed before. So I think a lot of people kind of realized their agency more so now than ever. And so Mm -hmm. they just took it upon themselves to quit and find opportunities where they feel that they'll be more valued and they can get wages that reflect the value of the work that they're doing. Right. And but do you think the American economy even offers the wages that would value the work that they're doing? And if, if, it, if it does, what's going to happen? If not, where, where, where do you go from there? I don't know if it currently does. I think most employers, unfortunately, for entry-level jobs still don't pay enough to really have a livable wage in America. But I think if these trends continue, a lot of employers are going to realize that in order to incentivize people to come work for them and stay working for them, they're going to have to offer much more incentive to come, which will include wage hikes and other benefits that they weren't offering before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so would, would you say, though, that it's, you know, is, is, this, is this an impetus in the COVID pandemic? And then, you know, we obviously not hear a lot about inflation, but, you know, wages should go up with inflation. In fact, wages should drive inflation, but that's not necessarily the case from what, you know, you've, you're telling us and what I think everyone really can examine right now in the American American economy. So uh, this this mass this mass ex- exodus is it is it is it really uh, is 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 it, is it really um, is it really is it really driven by employ is really driven by employees uh, realizing their worth or is it just a a in imbalance in the market right now that will eventually correct itself? I think it's a combination of the two. I think obviously inflation going up and wages not going up is a big problem because people aren't making money to be able to afford the cost of living in America. But I do think that the pandemic highlighted the disconnect between kind of executives of a company and regular employers. And I think it's mostly people realizing that they're not making as much as they kind of put into the economy. It was really highlighted, I think, for a lot of minimum wage workers especially, their value to the American economy, and yet their wages didn't reflect this. So I think it is a large part people realizing their worth and the influence that they actually do have over the economy, and that 
they can use that to advocate for better conditions. Yeah, and that adv- advocation. What it, what is also from the workers' perspective? Is it is that you know these mass strikes? Are they pushing for? Are they push? They're obviously pushing for higher wages and better living. But do you, do they do you do according to the market conditions? You know, there's there's there is it math mathematically from an economics perspective. It doesn't really there's the disc the de- there's a, there's a big disconnect. So do you, do you think they'll be able to achieve their their goal, their goals th- simply through striking and quitting, or are they going to strike and quit, go on their reservation wage, and then and then the market will the market will eventually come back around and they'll be reintegrated into the economy, but not necessarily through their ad, advo- advocacy, but because you know they're them leaving them leaving the uh, leaving their jobs forced the market conditions that put that brought better. Their, their collective bargaining brought better conditions for themselves. Is is it a so is this? Oh, I'm trying to ask: Is it a social, a, a, a social issue or a very purely economic one? I think, I think it'll be interesting to see which way it leans because right now, I mean, recently even coal miners now are starting to go on strike. So I think if enough major industries across the board are deeply affected by these strikes, I think they will have real impact. And I think there are ways. I mean. Obviously, COVID damaged the economy a lot and has made it difficult for employers to keep up with the cost of having a lot of employees. But I kind of touched on how, like, for example, Amazon, Jeff Bezos's net worth is 42 times the amount of hazard pay that his workers got for COVID. Or the average CEO in America makes, I think, it's 204 times what the average worker makes. So there are ways, I think, that companies can maybe cut down on some of the extreme salaries they have or costs to reach a compromise in terms of solely monetary demands but more of the social demands kind of being like having a feeling of being valued in the workplace or raising working conditions that's definitely i think going to be harder to achieve Mm -hmm. so i think it'll be interesting to see yeah obviously I, i i think it's very interesting uh, so and and I guess if you separate this set you can I guess you know what you what you talked about was you kind of separate the issue into it's very much a there's the economic side of things there's the social side of things also the political side of things the Biden administration even perhaps on a state level in the United in the U.S. how do you, how, how, what's the policy approach to helping helping this issue because it seems it seems a lot of it comes from you know gen, general economic general economic theoretical economic discontent. And also, but also there in the in the social side, social side of things. So where where does policy fit into the intersection of those two topics? I do think so far they've been kind of inactive on what's been going on, but I think that they do have the power to kind of force compromises in certain situations. Like for example, with the striking, with a lot of obviously the disputes with wages and the whole minimum wage debate that's been going on now. I think they really could help solve the problem if they raise the minimum wage, which so far it seems that they're kind of backing off on. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of unionizing, I think they could be doing a better job of kind of enforcing protections for unions. But at this point, I don't know if it's, if any of the strikes or kind of mass resignations have reached the scale where full scale federal intervention is needed. Mm -hmm. But they definitely could take those actions that I listed, I think, to at least try and encourage discourse that could lead to a compromise between employees and their employers. Yeah, that's true. And also, isn't it that Joe Biden, he said, you know, in, I think, 
I saw it on Instagram the other day. He regularly makes social media posts saying, like, I'm a president of unions. I love mm-hmm. unions. Or you think he even campaigned a bit on it as well. So is is there, is there, is there a, politically also, is there a, is there a, a, you know, perhaps a bit of a neglect from the Biden administration for this issue? I think so, yeah. I think, you know, the, the major industries, I think in the article I talked a lot about Amazon, how there's been mm-hmm. pushes there, and some of the actions that they've taken against employees who have organized unions, like going as far as to fire employees who yes. advocate for unions. So the fact that a lot of companies kind of do this openly and Biden's not really doing anything about it and he's seeing these trends that are happening and still not really addressing it, I think he could be doing more. Yeah. Is that also, though, is that on the federal government, though? Because, you know, for example, Amazon, I think, is incorporated in Washington state. You know, uh, I think I think you talked I think talked about Starbucks as well. I'm not mm-hmm. sure exactly where their where their headquarters are, but I know they came from S- Seattle. It's also Washington state. Um, but uh, both of those are good examples of, and I mean, it's it's coincidence they're both from Washington State, but but that I think that in general speaks, is there, a, you know, and especially how, you know, American democracy is set up and how there's very decentralization of powers from the federal government to the state governments, uh, is, 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 is perhaps, you know, these, these, uh, these st- states not taking an active enough role to solve, they like to pass it off to the federal government, or is it truly a federal issue? I think it, it could be both, but I think, I mean, obviously the states where the corporations are based do have an obligation to regulate and ensure that they are not illegally busting unions or discouraging union behavior. But I know the Justice Department now has gotten involved. I believe they're suing Amazon. I don't know if they're suing, I think they're threatening to sue Starbucks for interfering in unionization votes within the company. So I do think at a certain point, now, at least with Amazon, where they pretty blatantly interfered in the unionization vote that happened, I think it was in Alabama, I think the federal government does have an obligation to step in and kind of set a precedent that that behavior isn't okay, that I don't know if state governments really have the power to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, and also, I guess, on, on, on that topic as well, is it's, you know, it's about, it's a balance, though, regulation, because, you know, look, I mean, the, during the pandemic, uh, more people emigrated from California within the United States than immigrated from within the United States to California. And California has always been seen as the state that is the, you know, the nucleus of, you know, America's, I guess, tech uh, economic expansion in the past, you know, 25 25 to 30 30 years, and even going back further, you know, after the Second World War, uh, Silicon Valley, you know, really gained importance. So do you... Do, 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 do states, though, have, perhaps they must have a responsibility, though, maybe because uh, it's perhaps they, they have, well, they have to, they have to balance, they have to balance uh, the, you know, in, incentivizing new business opportunities in their states so they can, you know, tax and spend, but also there has to be a certain level of reg- regulation. So do you think that balance, perhaps, that maybe comes at a state level would put more responsibility on states as opposed to the federal government? I do think so, yeah. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, these people are employed in a company within a state. Mm-hmm. And I do think that states also have the opportunity to take more direct and more swift action on this because, as we've seen, the federal government can get very hung up yeah. on very specific <laughs> That's issues. That's very true. So, yeah, I do think that because states also, you know, they hold more control over, like you said, taxes and they can change the minimum wage within their state. So they do definitely have the power and I think the obligation to kind of step in when there's these massive labor debates going on within their state. Because obviously, 
like I said, they start out as small economic issues, but if they keep growing, then they have the power to really massively affect the entire economy. Mm-hmm. That's true. And so here's here's another way to look 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 at this. Um, is is where does this I guess this movement of you know discontent in the labor market because like we've discussed, it's very much economic. There's a social side to it. Is where does does do you, do you think it fits into the you know general movement for social progressivism progressivism in the uh, in, in the United States right now, or is it a is it kind of separate in its own economic sphere? I think. Hmm. Well, I was reading. I mean, when I was reading profiles of some of the workers that are striking, like for example, the John Deere workers, a lot of them have said that they never really thought they would be a part of something like this, and it's been brought upon more by their direct working conditions. So I do think that, in general, it has been more of an economic kind of snowball effect rather than a political one. Mm -hmm. But I do think definitely that kind of the emergence of the more progressive kind of political sphere and like the kind of AOC type progressives encouraging unionization and kind of organization of workers rights and everything i do think that definitely has had an impact but i think in general at least from the profiles i've read and everything it seems like most people kind of took the decision on their own based on their personal experiences right well yeah also i mean i think you you mentioned earlier about coal mine striking and you know uh i think it will i think a lot of the I, I remember a few years ago after the 2016 election, you know, one of the key key voting blocks that was critical in swinging uh, some some states towards the to voting for Trump was, you know, mining and coal mine, coal miners. But if they're striking now, then obviously, you know, they're dissatisfied as well. But you'd think in this you know, general, if, if we're looking at it from a you know, very, you know, black and white political perspective, they would not line up on that, mm-hmm. uh, that that not line up the same way as, say, the work, the workers at John Deere or at Amazon would uh the the other thing that's really interesting about this is that is that it's also that you know as this happens demand for goods in the united states is never been higher than it is before because of covid if you know have you have you seen images of uh you know i think there's like hundreds of ships lined up at the port of los angeles right now Mm -hmm. and trying to come into california um is so it, perhaps could this could this ever spill over into if it gets to an, ex, to an extreme enough point could this ever even spill over into public discontent because obviously around the world right now we're looking for it we're looking at a shortage shortage of goods but you know the United, the United States the, now doesn't run out of goods that's that's not how the U.S. works so is the, how how long until this uh, snowballs like you're saying from the you know economic sphere into the public sphere I think pretty quickly if actions aren't taken because now it's spilled into companies like Amazon and Starbucks, which are a part of most people's everyday routines. So if business there or even efficiency there gets disrupted, I think a lot of people are going to very quickly raise discontent. But even with, like you were saying, the whole supply chain disruption now, I think it's only going to keep worsening if more factory workers like the John Deere workers or other companies start striking more and more, which will you know, disrupt labor there, which will then disrupt supply chains here and then further around the globe, which I think will then affect people shopping online for really all types of materials or going to the store still. You know, you go into Tesco now and yeah, that's half true. the stuff's just not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it'll, it'll definitely keep worsening if action isn't taken, which I think will start to affect people's yeah. everyday lives. And then, I mean, to circle back 
to what I was talking about earlier, specifically the Biden administration. That's that's a that's a huge risk because you know there's there's an old joke that you know uh, when Americans vote for the president they only care about two things, which is the economy and the price of gas. And both of those economies, you know, increasingly becoming uh, a little a little bit uh, shaky, like you've pointed pointed out, and also inflation has driven up the cost of goods. So if you're if you're the Biden administration, even though that's you know a stereotypical joke of you know the American economy, it's it kind of does ring true that you know the general factors that people feel the most when they conduct their day to day lives in the American economy are going to be impacted, and that could impact approval ratings. Which you know, going into midterms elections, do you think this could be if this is not controlled, could it be an impetus for a bunch of other changes um, in the American political sphere that are completely separate from this issue? I do, yeah. Because again, with the whole disrupting the supply chain thing, if you're a private citizen who has nothing to do with, let's say, the coal mining industry, but eventually their strikings bleed over into other industries and then start to affect you, that definitely will then change your opinion of how Biden is handling the economy or labor disputes. So yeah, I think it's really interesting to see that a lot of people don't really seem to pay attention to issues until they personally impact them. Mm -hmm. So I do think that if Biden wants to keep the economic approval ratings that he has, he should look at these issues that have the potential to really dramatically affect a lot of people's everyday lives and try and take action on it now to stop that from happening. Yeah, of course. Well, he, I mean, as a politician, he probably has to. <laughs> it's, it's, you don't really have, have, have an option because, you know, polit- politics, especially increasingly in America, is more divided and polarized. And there's a lot of people who would you know, like, 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 like to work from this status quo to improve America than from another status quo. So I, 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 w- I, w- I, would, I would agree with you on that as well. Um, anyway, thank you for coming on, Annie. It's been a pleasure to speak oh, yeah. with you. This um, is awesome. This is really cool. <laughs> and for our listeners, thank you for sticking through another episode. Uh, and we'll see you next week on The Bulletin by the St. Andrews Economist.